0: Welcome to the Lojo Show. It's all right, I'll get better at it. Should I just say? It? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I'm your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 20 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. This is the last episode of our Armus OT micro series with Keith Walsh. Today, we will continue our discussion on zero trust and OT security, as well as address some of the current cyber events in the Ukraine crisis. All right, guys, welcome back to the Lojo Show. I am here with Keith Walsh from... Uh, Armis, and uh, this is the last of our series. Um, One of the things that uh, we see that's going on in our world right now with the conflict of of Ukraine, Russia, and uh, also what that means for the rest of the world is that, uh, you know, it's more important now more than ever that organizations realize that. Uh, these types of conflicts and wars and stuff now affect everybody. It affects uh, commerce. It affects our industries. It also affects, of course, the, the safety of uh, just your fellow human being too. But one of the things that we wanted to talk about and that we've been talking about as well is um, is critical infrastructure and how, how important it is to be able to have a cybersecurity uh, plan and capabilities in place in order to uh, combat the you know the eventual uh, the the eventual you know, surges and attacks as well as the uh, significance of attacks and stuff in different ways to both the supply chain, uh, critical infrastructure, equipment, uh, our stores, things that actually contribute to really. The you know the, the 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 modern lifestyle and stuff that we come to have here in the U.S. right that um, whether it be in our energy, uh, whether it be in manufacturing, medical and, and health, uh, as well as others. So uh, we have Keith Walsh here today, and you know one of the things we would like to talk about is really kind of that OT cyber journey, and then we're going to talk about kind of the importance of that cyber journey and and why. Uh, it is uh, indeed really a critical part of uh, any organization's uh, operations to really get this right and to continue to improve in these areas too. So, uh, Keith, if you would, love for you to kind of take it away here a little bit on uh, uh, that 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 cyber journey, uh, the awareness, asset discovery and mapping, and kind of the capabilities that uh, Armis is able to instill and in place in order to, you know, really uh, contribute to a safer, more secure environment for our critical infrastructure.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Lovature. Happy to be back. It's been an absolutely wonderful series uh, of conversation. And, you know, one of the things that you're referring to that we we spoke about in, in, in the first episode as well as in the second episode is, is a report that Gartner put out back in early 2021 about um, the cybersecurity journey found within OT infrastructure, and we you know we talked about you know the awareness phase. We talked about you know has my company been breached? Has a peer or a like company been breached? Uh, and if it has, you know, where do I start? Where does this journey start, and what does it lead to? So we talked about. Uh, asset discovery, mapping, and understanding all the you know the components within the system. You know, we talked about that oh wow moment, which is oh I didn't know that was going on on my network. I didn't know my boundaries were were so porous. Um, I didn't know that I had all these different vectors of potential attack into my OT infrastructure. Um, which sort of then Lobertier leads us to where we are today, right? Which is the firefighting phase, which is phase four of how, you know, how Gartner puts together this concept of how to embrace convergence within the, uh, you know, the OT cyber journey. So you know, in, in talking about this phase four of, of firefighting, it really gets to what you're talking about, which is what do I do? What frameworks do I need to model after? You know, how do I put into practice um, everything that I've learned through those first three phases? of the Gartner cyber journey, uh, you know, and, and it, it starts with with just general awareness. So we spent a couple of weeks talking about the importance of awareness of those devices, which are the components within our broader system, which is potentially our segments. And, uh, you know, we we sort of pivoted into zero trust, right? Because again, the foundation of understanding what zero trust is and how to implement that Within our enterprise, it all starts with the components and identifying the system, which we called our protect surface, right? What is that protect surface? I need to understand what that protect surface is. Um, you know, and then we talked a bit about how Armist delivers on uh, the Google Maps of not only the genetics of those devices, but the activities of those devices, right? Because as you can imagine, um, you know, within, for, Engaging in a zero trust architecture, we need to understand not only the devices themselves, but the activities and the actions that they're engaging in, um, you know, continuously and in real time, um, you know, to to get to that zero trust architecture. But and I'll, I'll leave you with this as we kick off the foundational element of all of these frameworks, whether it be zero trust, whether it be IEC six two four four three whether it be CIS controls, whether it be as we segue into critical infrastructure like the TSA cybersecurity guidelines. Step one is always the identification of those assets um, and the real time and continuous identification of those assets followed on by what are their vulnerabilities, followed on by what actions and activities are they engaging in? Are they authorized activities? Are they wanted? activities. Um, you know, and that's how we start to build out the framework of a secure infrastructure. And then, you know, as we bring in Ukraine and we bring in Russia and the, the overall heightened awareness of what seems like the new frontier of warfare, which is now cyber, it's sort of come out of the, out of the shadows, right? Where, you know the, the, you know, the bad actors that were engaging in cyber warfare they weren't really so bold as to come out and say, you know, your critical assets, your critical infrastructure, are my targets. It's not such a hidden conversation anymore that occurs, um, you know, uh, behind closed doors with uh, eggshell crates, uh, you know, on the walls where nobody can hear. It's it's out there, and it is only going to, uh, you know, grow. Uh, as 2022 rounds out and we enter into 2023.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that's really just right off the top of mind is, um, you know, regarding the Ragnar Locker um, uh, ransomware uh, breach, which breached 52 U.S. critical infrastructure orgs. And, uh, you know, critical infrastructure, when we talk about it, I know that we, we use that as a tagline, but just to make this really you know, really clear for, 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 our, for our listeners here, critical infrastructure, we're talking about things like your, your chemical sector, right? Your commercial facility sector, uh, critical manufacturing, your defense industrial-based sector, right? Energy sector, your financial services sector, uh, food and agriculture sector. So I mean, these are examples of those like, you know, 16 or so critical infrastructure areas that, uh, that we're talking about. These are things that just really impact everyday life Uh, The ability to do business, the ability to uh, feed your families, as well as to just be able to touch on. And now, when we talk about uh, conflict and stuff, we not only have state actors within this; we've got individual actors, as well as uh, just outright robbers uh, in this in this area that you're trying to protect against. uh, You know, within these. And so, when we say that you know the threat is persistent, right? Um, Well, that's it every day. All day, hour on hour, these we are being attacked uh, from that. Our businesses, our critical infrastructure, all those pieces there are, are always being attacked. And here's the other part: um, some of these are not just hey, you know, for just for this moment it's happening. Uh, in some cases, there's seeds that are being planted in order to be exploited years afterwards, right? Um, and what I'm saying is, is that. Uh, these attacks are not just, hey, this just happened yesterday. The thing is, is that organizations are being compromised two and three years ago. And just now being able to realize that or just now either discovering it or finding that there's something now active going on at this point. So being able to understand that those assets that you have as an organization and then being able to actually do something about it, if you find that they have a vulnerability or are compromised is a key
1: here. Yeah, certainly, and and you know, there's the way the way we look at it is there's there's predominantly two buckets that these actors fall within. Um, Number one are state-sponsored actors, and what you're talking about is, you know, typically a a breach that has occurred years before, and it's really just sitting there and it's waiting to be exploited. Um, You know, and and those are things, those are breaches that they're not really looking for cash. They're not looking for cryptocurrency, right? They're looking to you know, wreak havoc upon these industrial sectors that you mentioned. You know, they're looking for avenues and vectors into our electric grid, right? Into our pipelines, into you know, our hospitals, into our communication infrastructure, because as you mentioned, a breach into that type of vertical Really affects more than just that entity, and that's why CISA, uh, you know, called out these sixteen verticals. It's because it's more than simply taking down, uh, you know, a, a server in a casino looking for ransomware. It's simply more than just taking down uh, or taking or encrypting a server in a bank looking for ransomware. What what these state-sponsored actors are looking for is to affect entire sectors, entire regions, entire, you know, grids within, within our country, right, which then, unfortunately, breeds chaos. So that's what these actors are looking for. They're looking to sow, uh, you know, a lack of confidence in our government, a lack of confidence in our public safety, Um, You know, and and now what I think what you're going to see, Louverture, moving forward, you might see another whole critical vertical and it's around elections, right? It's around the, uh, you know, the electronic ballot boxes, um, because we saw how much discord that sowed in 16 and in 20, right? And I think the underlying rationale for the state-sponsored actors to target our critical infrastructure is to sow uncertainty to sow discord and to, you know, basically try to take us down from within where we take down each other.
0: And it really does happen at the rudimentary level. Like we, we, you know, we're talking about what the big impacts are, but the thing is, is that uh, the big impacts are really um, started by small infiltrations, right? Small denial of service, small denial of access to critical information and stuff too, and processes, right? When we talk about these and we say, hey, you know what, they shut down that plant, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that it shut down a, let's say, a, a critical switch, a critical device, a critical, you know, uh, 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 you know, pro- programmable logic or so from there, right? A PLC or so from there, right? When we start talking about these really at the rudimentary level, that's where you kind of say, you know, what and what and how do we address this, Um when we talk about the skill of, let's say, an attacker, so an attacker that's doing this, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is that uh, just on the dark web, uh, it's a very simple transaction to uh, get, yes, you know, to to get up to date ransomware, right, as well as malware, and then also the ability to propagate it, the step by step way of how you do it right? It's very easy to get access to the information and really to the guide on how to do it. So if you say that, Hey, you know what, these guys are really skilled. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that you don't have to have much skill these days to be able to do Mm it.
1: Right. And so
0: that just makes it that much more, um, uh, widespread now, uh, in this case, you know, we can't just say, Hey, this state actor is doing it anymore. It's individuals here, individuals right here in the U S and, in fact, we have a lot of individuals here in the U.S. that just, you know, create hate and discontent in these ways. But it does go back to really some of the simple pieces that's there. Let's say your critical infrastructure is guided or is, is supported by a simple switch, right? That switch mm-hmm. goes off. Part of that critical infrastructure goes down. Part of that process that uh, that's either a safety or a production process goes down. And now you have an interruption in services, right? And then let's go ahead and just kind of, you know, get a bit larger, right? Where it's just kind of more home, uh, hits you more at home. When we start talking about the financial services industry or financial industry from there, just a simple thing of, hey, I'm gonna go to the ATM and uh, put my card into the ATM and then uh, pull money out. Well, if that simple process is interrupted, what does that do to our country? Access to our money, access to our financial means and stuff from there, Those are things that companies and organizations that are a part of those systems and uh, verticals are most concerned about because it really quickly hits home just by a simple, simple uh, action or activity that denies service or access to information uh, when you want it. And we are an on-demand nation now. We're an on-demand world, and that cannot be tolerated typically.
1: Yeah, So I did some homework over the course of the past week uh, in anticipation of, of this conversation. And what I found were some really interesting statistics that really made me feel very uncomfortable. And I am quite certain might make some of your listeners feel uncomfortable. And that is a simple search in the dark web for ransomware as a service, right? Will yield results like Um, You know, the average annual cost to hire out ransomware as a service is $1,400 a year. So what that means is if I don't really have the skill set, right, I don't need the skill set, right? If I don't have the financial means to hire, uh, you know, skilled hackers, I don't need it. All I need is $1,400 a year. That also includes tech support and bounty retrieval assistance, and with that simple fourteen hundred dollars a year, I can hire out ransomware as a service. Which, when I first read that, embedded that out, I got kind of, you know, kind of unnerved, knowing that really anybody with a PC and the will, right, to want to wreak some sort of havoc within within a, you know, an organization, within a region, within a, a state or a country uh, can simply do so by hiring out a service to help them enable or, you know, or, or extract that ransomware from the organizations that are all around us. And that was really kind of disconcerting about how, how easily this is now done and, you know, how these folks now I will tell you, this is the second bucket, right? So the first one is the, the state sponsored actors. They're not going after the cash. These folks are. These folks are going after JBS. These folks are going after the colonials of the world. These folks are going after some of our utilities. Um, and what they're looking for is cash. And they can, you know, it can be co-opted out as a service. And uh, And it's now become an industry. Unfortunately, it is. And that's unfortunately becoming all too common as we see the uptick in these um, ransomware events occurring. And it's, it's funny. It's interesting literature. Um, you can actually kind of tell, uh, you know, the type of, of actor you're dealing with by the level of ransom or the amount of ransom that they're looking for. You know, if they take down, uh, you know, a, a server at JBS, you know, meatpacking, and they're only asking for 50 grand, you know, you're working with pretty much a low-level you know, actor that is really doing this as more of a hobby than you are a state sponsor. Now, if you go after, you know, if you go after huge utilities and you're now doing denial of service along feeders, right? Denial of service of communication systems, the taking down of comms towers and cell towers, that then looks to profile. Like a state-sponsored actor, so that's how I think you would tell the difference. Yeah,
0: it's um, yeah. I mean, at at the end, when we look at even just the increase and stuff too, of really just this organized, you know, really the the organized process of, uh, of 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 using ransomware, requesting that, and getting paid, whether that be in you know, in, in, your, in, your, in your cryptocurrency marketplace or so from that, or uh, in cash or by other means. This is, uh, you know, this is a, an increase that's there. But the other part is that this is also the same avenue. Uh, this also becomes the same avenue that we see um, both, you know, both both state actors and stuff in there, and you also acknowledge, you know, you've got you do have the journeymen that are out there that are doing this, doing this for more fun than anything else, but still at the end you're creating disruption and you're creating uh, chaos within, you know, those target organizations. Um, one of the you know key or critical things is is, is is really to, again, address the complacency in industry, right? Not just industry, but also within our our, our governments and stuff too. I cannot tell you how many times as an advisor or so and working in these areas that you get the smug guy sitting at the end of the table there, right? Saying that they've passed every audit and every assessment and stuff that they have, but you're sitting there looking at a clear and glaring hole within their organization and they want to explain it away, right? And the explanation as far as explaining away is why should we spend in order to close that? Because we think that really from our end that that is a low possibility. When you look around and you go, the avenue for the most types of compromises right now are malware, ransomware. And this is embedded in several ways. It's embedded in your everyday vulnerability and patch management processes. It's embedded in every way, and even in things like your firmware updates. And then also, even if you look at it in terms of how have you backed up your organization over the couple of years and stuff too, where you may have something that's passively there. Um, these are very simple ways that it happens. And these are really some large clearing holes that organizations have, but they typically don't want to pay the attention to. I don't know if that's what you find, but that's what you find. And typically it takes the aha moments of, holy crap, we do have this, right? Uh, we just had an incident. Now we want to speed up and try to get Uh, and try to get this affected at this point, try to uh, really to get in the ability to implement, the ability to see our whole organization. I like one of the ways that you explain this, right? And that is, you know, Armis is the equivalent of Google Maps of enterprise devices and their daily journey. And I'd love for you to just kind of dive into that a little bit and how that, uh, how that is able to really begin that process of addressing uh, the propagation of malware, ransomware, and other, uh, you know, hacks and capabilities when we talk about this within our OT environment.
1: Yes, certainly. So, you know, just to recap the concept, you know, Google Maps gives you, as we talked about last week, the full contextual Elements of the journey, right? The attributes of your journey to get from point A to point B, everything about your starting point, all the way down to the weather, the traffic, you know, what you're going to pass on the way to point B, which it gives you full contextual understanding of what point B is. But more interestingly, as you're getting from A to B, it's all the contextual information about what you're going to come across uh, in in that, that journey. And that's how Armis presents our services to our clients, right? We started um, our journey six years ago as we were founded uh, around the full asset discovery of any wired, any wireless device, it's make, it's model, it's genetics, it's hardware, it's software, which is extremely important because you need to be able to tie in the vulnerabilities um, and the risks and threats that those devices pose. So if we correlate that back to Google Maps, right? That's point A. And that's point B, that's the beginning. And those are the ending points of our journey. And tell me all about those endpoints and why is that important to me? But as we start on that journey where endpoint A is now communicating with endpoint B as Google Maps would would course correct your journey based upon traffic, as it would present speed limits, traffic cameras, as it presents all the information um, about your speed and how fast you're driving, right? That is what Armist now builds into this massive discovery engine of those endpoints, right? With regards to our OT infrastructure, we now report on the journey that those devices are engaging in, Uh, the ports, the protocols, the connections, the TCP, the UDP connections, um, you know, the Modbus connections, right? The Profinet, the Profibus connections, uh, you know, the SIP connections all of the contextual awareness that's needed and required in a real-time fashion, right? To be able to then leverage this as a tool to get to zero trust or leverage this as a tool to be able to go back to TSA, to be able to go back to the various frameworks that we're looking to abide by and the compliance and the regulatory, the auditors, as you mentioned, you know the, the compliance, managers and directors that need to present this information you know back into a governing body maybe it's a PUC um, all that information is there right not only the contextual understanding of endpoint a and endpoint B but all the really interesting information along the journey that it takes not only with regards to a specific unique connection that occurs maybe one time during that day but all connections that that device is ever engaging in over the life of that device so that then allows us to do things like wrap goodness right let me wrap policy around what a good day looks like for that device right let me understand what a bad day looks like for that device and let me write policy to eliminate right the bad actions or the bad elements that that device may introduce into the framework
0: I'm definitely a firm believer in that. We, as organizations, our federal government, uh, our partners, coalition partners, and stuff too. Here, you know, we do need to accelerate the pace in which we're implementing zero trust. We, we talk about zero trust a lot. I've seen a lot of drawings of a zero trust infrastructure, right? But at the end of the day, when it comes, you know, rubber meets the road. Uh, folks go, well, should I go ahead and, and should I go ahead and invest, right? Should I invest it in it now? Should I should I do it now? What's the timeline on it? Can I just do this instead? Right. Which are all which are all relevant trade-off discussions and points and stuff there. But one of the things that uh, that we do see is that people just stop and they say, I don't think we can make that work, or it's not economically feasible for us to make that work at this point. Um, that's really the pushback that you that you see when we look at even things like for us for working with the federal government and stuff too. And this is in any capacity to be honest with you. When we talk about DoD or 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 um, our Department of Homeland Security and stuff too within that, uh, we see this uh, this this uh, reluctance to actually go down that path. And in some cases say that hey we're a reliability engineering area we can't put that type of technology in place well the issue is is that you're gonna have to you have to if you're not gonna patch your systems for months and months and months on end or in some cases for two or three years because you have legacy equipment that's no longer supported well mm-hmm. at some point you're gonna have to protect that and if you can't protect it at the base level of the equipment then you need to put that zero trust shell around it right these are things that you got to get more creative in how your thinking goes uh, regarding your infrastructure, and in particular, when we begin to speak about connected weapon systems. Uh, you know, that's that's from a DoD standpoint, and then let's go ahead and just kind of cross the street over to uh, transmission and distribution within that, which is you know that's still very old. <laughs> that's old infrastructure and old capabilities in our country here. Uh, these are things that are essential. And really, I believe when we look at the leaderships and stuff too within those areas, it's been an area that has been very much so uh, ignored. Uh, It's been talked about, but very little action has happened over the years to really implement these capabilities. Again, Zero Trust is not new. Zero Trust has been around for a long time. However, now it's time to really go through the you know, the hard task of really getting instituted and implemented uh, as, a, as an organization for one, our protection, two, our, our ability as a country to uh, continue to be competitive um, from that, uh, and three, to make sure that uh, the, the services and the current and future services that are going to be put in place that serve our country are, are going to be secure. So these are some of the things that I think can really begin to push this along you know, faster, and I wanted to talk to you about kind of that adoption, right? That adoption rate. Are you seeing increases in the adoption rate for zero trust? And you know, how is Armis kind of playing a role in
1: that? I am absolutely seeing an increase in conversations. So I have uh, across the daily and weekly, I have conversations with all of Armis's critical infrastructure customers, as well as the folks that are looking to Armis to solve some of these. These issues that they're faced with, and uh, you know, this this really stretches across all the critical verticals that you mentioned earlier. And yes, the concept of zero trust. Some are further along than others um, with regards to embracing zero trust. Some are really at the beginning of the journey. And you know, you know, sometimes a story, uh, you know, it's best told with regards to a story. So. I've been having a a, a bunch of conversations um, since I would say, you know, maybe the past six months, there seems to be a huge uptick in conversations I've been having with our critical pipeline prospects and customers. And the zero trust concept is now an underlying theme. And some understand conceptually uh, what it means to be zero trust. Others are struggling because they typically aren't staffed to engage in that conversation right So you have to delineate real quickly where this conversation where the genesis of this conversation is. is it is it book one chapter one where this the, you know the team that you're speaking with at a pipeline customer is really just trying to learn what zero trust is or have they already started down this path and now they're looking for that specific that specific tool that's going to get them from you know step six to step seven or it's going to get them, Uh, you know, one step further, one yard further down this marathon race that we're in. Um, So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I've been having conversations with our our pipeline customers. And where I try to distill the conversation down to is what's your protect surface? Um, And I'll just recant a conversation I had um, that we're currently in conversations with one of the nation's largest midstream companies is their protect surface, they've identified as their compressor stations, right? So if you understand how, how um, you know, petroleum products are pushed down the pipelines, there's gathering stations, there's compressors, compressor stations, um, and then uh, and the petroleum products move on down it. So they identified their first step in getting toward zero trust is, I need to identify my protect surface and my initial protect surface is my compressor station. Great, awesome, step two. What's step two? Okay, what tools do you have in mind? What's currently in place? What do you currently leverage to protect that infrastructure? Oh, okay, well, we have firewalls. We've got a NAC. Um, That's really about it. Okay, well, tell me about the flow of your data. Well, it all comes back to a head end. Great, okay. So then we start having a conversation around what's the flow of their data, right? We're trying to understand the activities that that data is in, and those devices are engaging in, but it all goes back to step one. What are the devices, right? So they understood that step one, after they identified the protect surface, they needed to go in and understand the genetics and the activities of every device that's communicating within that protect surface and that's communicating across, across that protect surface because I need to understand its vulnerabilities, its risks and its threats. Um, uh, and that's in this particular instance, typically where these conversations start. It's identify, 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 protect surface devices and activities followed by, okay, what tools do we have at our disposal, right? You have firewalls, you have next, you have endpoint protection, right? You have scanning platforms. Do you have an asset discovery tool? Do you have a CMDB? Things of that nature um, to really then try to, Understand the flow of the data in and out of that protect surface, and then from there, um, you know you can really start understanding, uh, you know, the next steps that need to be taken to really truly layer in, at least start layering in zero trust into a small segment of your network. Because as we spoke about earlier last week, you can't you can't boil the ocean. You got to start with with a lake. You got to start with a pond. In this particular instance, it was it was uh, hundreds hundreds of compressor stations scattered amongst maybe 180,000 miles of pipeline.
0: What's so exciting about our industry, uh, as well as on what uh, Armis uh, can offer and stuff too, within this is, you know, again, pulling that picture together, right? Because it is, the devil is in the details. Uh, of this. And again, the a lot of time the, rest, the the restraint in organizations moving forward in this is just the sheer volume of work and discovery and stuff across uh, their entire enterprise or their entire service delivery you know infrastructure. And so when you begin to uh, utilize tools and stuff that are able to actually uh, really discover, identify, and then also track and provide that capability, um, that's where, uh, that's where you begin to really make a dent in, you know, moving forward, because again, without automation and without the, the ability to have some of that auto com- capability, um, it's just impossible to have enough staff, enough people, mm-hmm. uh, to do this and do it right. Right. And be accurate, uh, with it. So these are some of the, you know, these are some of the nuances and stuff of the industry and stuff there.
1: Um, yeah. It's a very, that's yeah. a very common theme, Lovature, that you just mm-hmm. mentioned, right? Which is, uh, you know, after we get into the conversation around, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what tools do you have at your ass, uh, at your, uh, you, know, I- you know, that can assist you in, in getting to where you want to go? Tell me about the people. Tell me about mm-hmm. the human resources that you have. And, and inevitably, the conversation oftentimes gets down into, oh, heck, what's the level of effort to get to where I want to go, right? Yeah. Uh, do yeah. I have the staff? Do I have the 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 human elements to achieve what I want to achieve, and uh you know, I would say heck, maybe three or four times out of five the answer is not really
0: The firefighting and stuff too, at this point that goes on you know we've uh you know we we talked a little bit about you know what's some of the differences that are going on right now. It, it used to be that you know, we could just, a lot of organizations would say, okay, yeah, we bought this very extensive cybersecurity insurance, you know, for our organization. And, you know, we we feel protected on that. And so that would would become a large part of their, you know, really of their risk catalog, right? Of, hey, what can we accept from this versus, what we can get from cyber insurance, I, I think one of the uh, one of the one of the topics that kind of goes unsettled and unwatched is the fact that cyber insurance rates have increased, you know, over thirty percent in the past year, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the exclusions that are there too. And uh, I think it'd be interesting if you kind of go into that a little bit, where uh, the exclusion component is very important because you may have that extensive in, uh, cyber insurance policy, and it may be fine for two thousand twenty-one. But the new exclusionaries, as well as the uh, some of the new verbiage and stuff within those agreements now, are changing. And so, uh, can you tell me what you've kind of seen in this area as well?
1: Yeah, no, certainly, and I can actually draw on some personal conversations in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as we we, you know, our conversations typically involve multiple personas within our our customers or prospects. They certainly include. The, the, the plant operators, the pipeline operators, uh, the operation managers. But now more and more of these conversations are moving what I'll call up the stack and we' and, and, and we're having dialogue with the, the CISA, the CIO, the CFO, and what and the questions they're asking are very different from the questions that they were asking a year or two or three or four ago. Their questions are around and and they can be, Kind of perplexing to hear a CFO ask the question, Do you have real time threat intelligence monitoring? So we would typically hear that question from maybe a cyber ops guy, somebody in the SOC. So you ask the question that, you know, from coming from a CFO, why are you asking that question? What's, what's important to you? Uh, and they say, Well, I'm reviewing, you know, our, our cyber insurance policies and they want to know. If I have a real-time threat intelligence engine, do I have endpoint protection that's connected to real-time threat detection? And they're now asking Armis this question. Now, fortunately, Armis within our infrastructure takes multiple threat intelligence feeds. We take multiple threat detection feeds. Um, we take uh, you know, engines like VirusTotal into our solution to provide The answer to this CFO, which is absolutely the moment you plug into Armis, you are immediately going to inherit all of these threat real-time and continuous threat intelligence and threat detection engines that is in real-time watching threat signatures as they pass over your internal network, whether it be OT, whether it be IoT, whether it be healthcare, whether it be you know, uh, any wired or any wireless device. So we're able to double back to that persona that is now having to answer questions that quite frankly, he or she has never had to ask before, which is, heck, does this vendor that I'm about to engage with, do they help me to solve my use case as a CFO, which is the exclusions in my insurance policy or the writers, right? Oftentimes, They're looking to reduce their insurance rates. So they want to come forward and say, I've got an enterprise wide solution that monitors my OT network that includes real time, you know, real time threat intelligence, real time threat detection, right? Real time remediation. Um, And because they want to go back to the board and say, we have found a solution within our OT infrastructure that does just that.
0: No, very interesting point there, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it is a challenge in one of the it's a, it's a, it, it evolves and stuff too, year by year. Like you said, even your audience is changing in these discussions mm-hmm. as far as from the CFO, the CEO, you know, the CEO. Uh a lot of cases uh, we have discussions as well, from a board standpoint within these companies. I can tell you right now, one of the, one of the biggest disconnects that, uh, that I used to run in is if you had a CISO or say an uh, operational technology security, you know, specialist or manager from there trying to really, communicate to the board what are some or what are some of the essentials and risks that are associated with this that they need to begin to either allocate budget for or allocate uh, investment in. And mm-hmm. that's always been a difficult gap to, to really uh, to really you know bridge. And now with that because the audiences are changing within this, um, it's essential for the whole organization to be aware, of what is really kind of the realized risk that you're not realized excuse me what are the risks that you're trying to navigate and who really are the owners of that risk you know in in, uh, who are really the owners of the risk in the organization as well as to the clients and clientele and stuff too that's that's there so um, really neat kind of seeing on how that has uh, has how that has evolved and then also really what the attention is both onto the insurance balancing that risk and addressing it properly uh, in order to uh, in order to really account for those exclusions and stuff too, that, uh, that, that can be kind of a, uh, a hanger for you as an organization, should you need to use that insurance?
1: Yeah. You know, and the biggest takeaway is the persona or the buyer has, has changed significantly, mm-hmm. you know, over the past five years, it uh, you know, the, the, you know, every persona that we come across, where, wherever they reside within the organization has different, you know, value that they're trying to solve for. They've got they've got the problems, they've got the issues, um, and they're looking for the value statement that helps them to achieve the purpose of their function. So whether it be the CIO, the CISO, the CFO, the CEO, right, who's trying to mitigate overall risk to the brand. Yep. Right, they're trying to mitigate um, overall operational uptime. Right, they're trying to mitigate broader conceptual events. You know, they're they're trying to to solve for you know more. I'll, I'll call it worldly problems or issues that may face the brand or the organization as a whole. Whereas, you know, five or ten years ago, that conversation you would strain yourself to try to have that conversation within an organization. You are typically having that conversation with the plant floor manager, the pipeline operators, those folks that are looking for what I'll call niche solutions or OT-centric solutions that, uh, and there are several of them within our space. Armist, we approach it 100% differently because those conversations that we're now having with the CXOs that are looking for value to the brand, right? They're looking for safety, right? They're looking for operational uptime. Those conversations are now occurring much higher in the stack in the organization. And that's exactly where Armist fits because our value is not necessarily only that of a niche play in a POC network within a bakery or within a compressor or a gathering station within a pipeline right? Because that's not necessarily where the threats come from, right? Because these devices in our utilities were placed there decades ago. Well, heck, in the mid-90s, there was no internet. So why, that's why these devices aren't encrypted. That's why the, the communication flows, uh, you know, our, our DLMS, our COSEM, our, our, our DMP3 protocols that we run within our utilities, it's not encrypted, right? It didn't need to be because- yes. It, you know, the internet is only literally, I would say, you know, 26 years old to so a lot of these organizations. They've had their devices installed 30, 40 years ago, and it's they're still there.
0: Yep. And in some cases, even pre-internet, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. that we see, the, the internet as we know it today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was having this conversation. So, you know, it's, it's funny about maybe an hour or two ago, I was having a conversation with my sister who is the director of guidance for a uh, school district up in uh, just North of Manhattan. Um, And I was trying to convey why things are different now, right? than they were just 20, 30 years ago. And I said, imagine that you're in your home 30, 35 years ago. And the only person that might knock at your door is somebody that was invited, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe you had a gate in your front door, uh, at your front of your neighborhood. The only people that were in your neighborhood are people that were invited, right? Now, you've got anybody in the world that can get to your front door via this thing called the internet. So what that means is your layers of defense have got to be such that. <clears throat> You're you're continually protected all the time against any threat because at any moment in time, the internet can bring a threat to your front door. So now not only do you need that initial gate at the top of your neighborhood, if you so chose to have a gate at the top of your neighborhood, but now you need, you know, you need the security, the motion sensors, you need, you know, you need the moats, you need the drawbridge. You need the alligators inside the moat around. You need 50 foot walls that are eight feet deep. You just need all these additional layers because the internet in the world of operational technologies and across all of our enterprise basically gives all of our adversaries an open door to get to our front gate. It's just a matter of when they get there, what happens, right? 50 years ago uh, is a different story than it certainly is today.
0: That is, it's uh, yeah, it's very impactful. And then also the other part is, is that it really <laughs> sets both a, a challenging and scary storm for for what we think of as as a, from a company as far as for our, our safety, security, ability to do business. But also in addition to that, uh, being able to really um, understand where are the threats coming from in our world. So it is a um, it is an essential it is an essential fight it is, there is an essential tool and stuff out there when we look at this OT uh, arena and I definitely would say for our listeners that are working with OT technology but also even uh, you know our general technology and stuff from that when we talk about just our office admin and stuff and capabilities there to really think about how this physical world and electronic world really converge and how the effects of um, good security or bad security, uh, will, you know, certainly, uh, uh, be applied within your, within your organization. So yeah. that's about the time that we have out here for my, you know, for the Lojo show, as far as for this, uh, for this series, this has been a very exciting series with, um, you know, with Armis and Keith Walsh here, uh, giving us really kind of the, the frontline view and the frontline uh, perspectives and stuff too that he's uh, been able to see and experience uh, with, uh, with Armus and as companies and organizations are trying to address some of the biggest threats that are out there right now, uh, as well as some of the most critical uh, cybersecurity issues and topics and stuff too that uh, are facing us. So Keith, I'm going to actually give you the last word here too, uh, just as far as kind of your, your, your leaving calling card here. We'd love to, 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 to hear that and just kind of send our uh, listeners off with, uh, with a little, uh, with a little nugget.
1: Yeah. Thanks, chair. It's been a, a wonderful four weeks, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, very impactful. And what I would leave our listeners with number one is understanding that scope matters. Uh, And what I mean by scope is simply, you know, the vector of attack into our critical infrastructure, it can start with an OT. It certainly doesn't mean that we need to look for niche solutions, right? Because scope does matter, because we need to understand vectors of attack into our entire enterprise, because unfortunately, it may end up in OT. Um, And Armis is poised to do just that. We understand conceptually over 12 million different device types. We manage on the daily over 2 billion devices in real time and continuously monitoring for threats and uh, would love for you to come find us at armist.com where uh, we can certainly start the conversation around what your specific OT cyber journey looks like and uh, how to get started. I will say this, man, watching you guys
0: grow over the last couple of years has been amazing and stuff, too, so as far as just being exposed and stuff to you guys and some initial uh, engagements with uh, prior companies and organizations and then just kind of seeing where you guys have taken Armist uh, to this platform and stuff, too, or uh, solution and stuff from that to the, uh, you know, to the next steps. So I'm excited to see kind of what the future holds there. And uh, like you said, uh, with the contact information, Keith, we'll also have that on the podcast as well as uh, post it and stuff too on our website. And uh, thank you again, Keith.
1: Take care. Yeah, thanks so much, Loverture.
0: That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Thank you to Keith for coming on and sharing some of his extensive knowledge with us. This has been a wonderful experience for us and our listeners. Thank you to Armus for letting Keith come on and share some of Armist's capabilities and use cases. We hope this has been an interesting and educational experience for you too. A quick few announcements before we go. We have launched our YouTube page. We hope to use YouTube to expand our listener base, make it easier for you guys to leave feedback and have live sessions in the future. To find us, search The Lojo Show. And don't forget to subscribe. We have an email for you to connect with us at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We created this email for our listeners to submit news they want us to address, ask us questions, and to try and come on the show. We can't wait to connect with you. Also, this is the last episode of season one. Thank you for coming on this great ride with us as we have figured out our style of podcasting. Season two will be full of up-to-date cyber news, news analysis, great guests, and a different engaging format. We want to thank our listeners for your support. Our listenership has been growing consistently over the last few months, and we just want to welcome all the new listeners and those that have been with us since the beginning. Thank you all. With that, we will say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.